This is Monday Night Law. I'm Rob Kleiner, and your other host, Joe Kenya, unfortunately couldn't be here tonight. He's feeling a bit under the weather. Uh, if you wish to uh, reach out to him, you can reach him on Twitter at just Joe Kenya, and I'm sure he'd appreciate you know uh, any thoughts you may wish to send along his way, show ideas, uh, get well soon tweets, and so forth. Filling in for Joe Kenya, I have my friend Paul Piskarczyk here today. How's it going, guys? Uh, we, we do wish Joe the best. I want to reiterate that. So uh, if you do wish him the best, go ahead on Twitter. And uh, Rob, I think uh, you want to add something so before we get started here. Sure, sure. Well, like any good attorney, before we start today's podcast, I just need to give a quick disclaimer. Oh, wow. Uh, what are we recording, Rob? A podcast. Is this, is this, a, is this podcast uh, legal advice? No, this is not legal advice. This podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Does that mean I should bring this podcast with me to court to help me on my criminal trespass, divorce, copyright infringement case? No, you should not, because this is not legal advice. Well, what should I bring to my court case, then? A lawyer. You should bring a lawyer who's licensed in your state. Not this pack? Not this podcast? No, you should not bring this podcast into court. You should bring a lawyer. Okay, well, now that we got that out of the legal mumbo-jumbo out of the way... Hopefully that was, that was a fairly painless uh, disclaimer, except for Paul, perhaps. Probably. I almost read my name a couple times, but... So, but it, well, anyway, what's your topic, by the way? Well, we're lucky to have Paul in on this podcast today, because we're talking today about real property, which is a big topic. We're going to you know, uh, uh, divide up into two little topics, which is sort of the way we've been doing things. Paul's going to talk a bit about his topic, I'm going to talk a bit about mine, and both topics are going to be in the general area of real property. That's correct. Um, Rob, one thing I want to bring out, I think, you know, when you go to a settlement, I heard recently you bought a house, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. How, how did that whole process go? You think it was pretty streamlined? You think it was easy? What, what do you think of the whole process? I mean, I don't have a whole lot to compare it to because it was the first time my wife or I uh, bought a home. Okay. So it was a first for us, but uh, there was, I'd say, a blizzard of paperwork, and and uh, right, right. You know, as a typical lawyer, I did go and read through everything, which I think uh, the other people around the table found a little annoying. But you know, uh, it's one of the things in law school you learn. You don't read the if you don't read the papers as a lawyer, it's even worse than if you don't read them otherwise. That lawyers really are expected to do their, their uh, homework and look through, at least look through the paperwork before they sign it. I agree. I, 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 I always, I've always heard that ignorance of the law is no defense, Rob, so you're definitely doing your homework there. Uh, when I, was, I think the only you know, just quick general question, more get more specific, is do you feel like you were getting ripped off at all at any point, or do you feel like you were swindled, or anything, any, any kind of thing from maybe unknown fees or last-minute changes or anything that you felt that was unfair? No, I, I didn't pick up on anything like that. Uh, there was a lot of explanation given to me by the realtor, by the attorney, uh, you know, by the lender, and so forth. Great, great. And I, I think there's a big reason for that. Um, thankfully, the Federal Reserve, about 30, 40 years ago, uh, actually in 1968, passed the Truth in Lending Act. And in 1974, uh, Congress passed the uh, Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act uh, of 1974. Um, basically, the, the purpose of these um, acts is to basically protect the consumer. You and I, Rob, when we go to buy a house, um, basically before that, um, a lot of people were getting swindled. 
there were there's a lot of bait and switch going on uh, as far as interest rates go. You they, you come in for a five percent interest rate, they jack it up last minute, and you're stuck. Um, so basically, this is the first attempt by I guess overall the government uh, to put it uh, plainly to uh, basically help those consumers out. Um, but recently. I mean, the language and the forms that were associated with, with those two acts have become a little overlapping, confusing, um, they're inconsistent. Um, so recently there was um, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, or basically people call it for short the Dodd-Frank Act, mm-hmm. uh, which basically directs the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which basically sounds what it is. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is here for us to protect us as consumers. And recently they've combined what people shortly refer to the Truth in Lending Act as, I guess, TILA, I forget how you pronounce that, or RESP, basically RESPA for Real Estate, um, Real Estate uh, Summer Procedures Act. And basically, they've basically put in two uh, main um, procedures that every lender basically needs to follow. But just to clarify, you're saying TILA and RESPA, those are acronyms. Am right, I- correct, correct. Sorry about that. Um, basically, the, the first new form that, they've, that Dodd-Frank has basically put out um, is basically a, a disclosure for consumers. When you, go, when you first go to apply for a um, mortgage, a lot of people don't know what the fees are, the risks, the costs. Um, they, they basically, the whole point of it is you'd think they would have thought of this earlier, but of course, lenders are big business. They're trying to make money. They're trying to get over on people who don't know what they're doing, especially if you're a first-time home buyer or you don't do it all the time. So basically, the point of the loan estimate is to provide um, an estimate of any kind of fees, costs, your interest rate, um, your basically your mo- monthly payment, esti- everything is all in estimates, a pro- basically no later than three business days after you submit a loan application. Um, and of course, there's a lot that goes on between after submitting the application. Um, you've got to hire a, an attorney, especially in Delaware, to actually handle your closing. Um, they will do title work on your property. And basically, three days before settlement, um, the there, there's... Uh, a closing disclosure, which needs that needs to be provided to consumers three day, three business days before they close on a loan, which basically is almost a final cost of provided to the consumer, basically saying here's what you're expected to pay. There's gonna be no more pulling punches, no more hidden risks. Um, so, sorry, just a little uh, technical difficulties there, but um, basically the the point of the loan estimate and closing disclosure. Um, which is basically directed by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or people call it the CFPB, again, another acronym that you might hear. Um, it's basically to help protect us consumers. Um, now, the loan estimate and closing disclosure is basically for your basic um, type of mortgage, closed-end mortgage. Uh, if you have a reverse mortgage or a home equity line of credit, um, it's not always secured, it's not always required by that. Um, of course, your attorney will make sure that you know if, if they are applicable, you will see the loan estimate and closing disclosure. Um, but I think that's about all I've got on those two, uh, basically, you know, consumer-friendly uh, p- piece of information that people should know about before they go closing on a house. So, Rob, why don't you? Uh, oh, thank you, Paul. That was uh, that was interesting, and I'm glad that you're able to contribute that to the podcast. Now, uh, another uh, real estate-related topic. Uh, I wanted to talk about an interesting and notable uh, real estate case that's uh, come up in Delaware in the past few years. This is a uh, 2012 case called Eastern Savings Bank FSB versus Cash LLC, and Cash is spelled C-A-C-H as opposed to C-A-S-H. So basically the facts in this case 
are there was this guy, Aaron Johnson, he had a car loan and he defaulted on the car loan. So the the uh, originator that or maybe not the originator, the the cash LLC Mm-hmm. Uh, to whom he owed money for his car, they got a judgment lien against him for his unpaid debt, and they uh, went and and got a judgment lien put on his home, his real property, uh, in Newark, Delaware. He also, uh, he and his wife took out a mortgage just a couple days after that lien was put on the the property, and so they had a mortgage lien as well. And so then what happened is eventually uh, they, they went to a foreclosure sale, a sheriff's sale, for the real property, and uh, the, the mortgage company got paid, but the judgment lien company did not. Right, and I, and I would just want to say, Rob, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I would assume the judgment is a first lien priority there since it was filed before the mortgage. Before That's right, the, right. Well, because in Delaware, Delaware is unique uh, in terms of our recording statute that you have priority uh, based on the time you record. It's called a race, a race state is what right, it's called. Right, pure race, right. as opposed to other states that are race notice or some variation where it's not just who gets to the, the uh, recorder of deeds office first. Well, Delaware, you race to the recorder of deeds office or do it online now, which is the, the way things are going. But uh, Slowly but surely, but yes. But if you're not doing it online, you do race to the recorder of deeds office because you do not want to be second in line. And I've been I've been racing over there a couple of times myself personally, so I know they're good people over there. So <laughs> <laughs> they are. That's true. That uh, uh, so so Delaware's pure race statute. So the judgment lien, because it came in a couple of days before the mortgage lien, is the the senior lien, and the mortgage lien is the junior lien. And the terminology is not necessarily how you might think it works. The, the senior lien is just the older one. It's not necessarily the bigger one. Obviously, the, the mortgage on the house is going to be worth more than the unpaid car payment balance from, for most people. Correct. But here, the senior one is that car payment because they got, there, they got there first. They won the race. So what happened here is the mortgage company got paid at the sheriff's sale and cash LLC did not. So they brought a claim against the mortgage company and that was what brought on this case. So th- there are a number of things that came out of this case uh, and a lot of it was just sort of reinforcing Delaware rules that have existed for a long time. Notably, there's a, a two-volume treatise on Delaware law by this uh, professor from Penn Law School, I think, or Villanova, I can't remember, uh, a guy named Woolley, who 100 years ago Wrote this two-volume treatise, and a lot of there's a lot of law in Delaware that you have to look all the way back to Woolley because there's not an update to it. It's not necessarily codified, especially things like sheriff sales. It's still applicable today, and it's still applicable yeah. today. And this case cited to Woolley and said that Woolley is still good law with regard with regard to sheriff sales. It's actually interesting that that they had to go back that far back that the legislature hasn't codified it. Because I looked to buy uh, a copy of Wooly and it's out of print. You can't hmm. buy it. And uh, it's available in certain law libraries. I found, surprisingly, you can get uh, one of the two volumes on a Google Play uh, bookstore hmm. for free. You can get nice. a, a copy of Wooly for free uh, electronically. So I have one on my e-reader. But it's, it's interesting that we have good law in Delaware that's a century old and out of print. And it's a little arcane. Uh, especially the way it's written, it's very, uh, it's not written in a modern vernacular. 
So, so this case reinforced that Woolley is still good law in Delaware with regard to sheriff sales. And it, it talked about when you have a sheriff sale, uh, the effects on the property. So the, this case they said when you have a sheriff sale, all of your non-mortgage liens are discharged. Mm -hmm. So cash LLC, whether they were senior or junior in terms of their priority, they would be discharged because they're not a mortgage lien. They were upset because they were discharged and they didn't get any money for Correct. it. Correct. If Cash LLC had been later in time and filed later and been the junior lien holder and there wasn't enough money to pay them, they would still be discharged. They would still be out of luck. So it's, it's a, a tough position to be in, the junior lien holder, especially if the senior lien holder is a significant amount of money that you're not likely to get paid off and your judgment might not be worth a whole lot of money in that case. But the case goes on to explain that the reason that the legislature has these rules to the extent that they have them, they did have some rules about about liens uh, in the code, and they said that the motivation there was to promote the uh, ability to sell and transfer land, that if you couldn't discharge these non-mortgage liens uh, on a sale, or on a sheriff's sale, I should say, <clears throat> that it would make it more difficult for people to, what they say, alienate, it's a fancy term for buy and sell, <laughs> alienate land. Okay. And the legislature was very interested in the ability for us to, as Delawareans, to be able to alienate our land. That's interesting because I think that brings up a very interesting point with what I deal with a lot, a lot all the time is basically I think, I don't know, you usually get an attorney to kind of handle these things and you run a title search. Title search would have brought that up, but of course, once that sheriff sale hits, as most attorneys will tell you, that, that wipes everything out before that. Another thing that does that is bankruptcy orders will do that too when we, when we run into bankruptcies. Once you get a bankruptcy order from a, from a bankruptcy court judge, it wipes out any other previous liens. So actually... Going forward, from a title standpoint, it makes things a lot easier. Um, right. so you don't have to worry about any kind of payoffs or any kind of liens, anyone popping up later. And also makes it easier for title insurance purposes, too, because title companies li like seeing that, actually, because it's less risk on them. They don't have to put up with the risk of some old lien holder coming up and we're like cash LLC saying, hey, you owe me X amount of money. So, so, so uh, from your understanding, if you buy from a bankruptcy uh, estate or if you buy from a sheriff sale, you'll have an easier time when you sell down the road to, right. to get title insurance or for Cor your buyer to get title insurance. Correct, correct. Because everything before that, as long as you get that that order, the bankruptcy court order, or that sheriff sale. Once you see that, it's basically at that point, you know, it wipes like you said because of Wooly, it wipes everything out before that. Well, not that's for sheriff sales. For bankruptcy, you need that bankruptcy court order judge to issue that. So. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. To something I did not know, Rob. So, well, I think uh, we've we pretty much covered the topics we want to talk about today. I'll make sure to put uh, citations to the different cases, rules, statutes that we talked about today in the show notes. And uh, before we move on, uh, well, before we conclude the show, just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about our first episode. If you remember, the topic of that episode was alcohol and the law. We talked a little bit about. It. Homebrewing and uh, moonshine. We talked about uh, liability for people who serve alcohol and so forth. So uh, we had some feedback on that episode, and we just want to be able to address that uh, here today. Uh, we appreciate that, you know everyone who's listened and contributed feedback. It's helpful for us to be able to you know make sure we get things right for one and and address people's uh, concerns for two. Rob, I'll just drop your Twitter handle again. You can find uh, Money Law on Facebook just by searching Money Law as I just did. Very easy. Right, facebook.com/moneynetlaw. I actually changed my Twitter handle since our first Great. episode to make it easier 
to uh, pronounce in the podcast, and it is at Monday Night Rob. Perfect. And jo- Rob, did you want to address anything, or you just want to throw throw out the links and from last week's episode? Did you want to clarify anything, or no? Well, uh, we uh, Joe and I had some confusion, I think, over the actual volume in a keg, and uh, just to clarify. You know, a half keg, which is the uh, the size you'll traditionally see in a kegerator at a party or whatever, that is uh, seven and three quarter gallons of beer. Interesting fact, Rob. They don't make full kegs anymore. They're too heavy and cumbersome, so that's why they don't make them anymore. So a lot of people think half keg is a full keg because it's a big item, but they don't right. make full kegs. The biggest anymore. one that you generally see. Sure. Right. Correct. Well, that makes sense. Right. That's good. I would hate to have to carry out a full keg from the... Well, do you, actually, do you know how much a, a half keg uh, weighs? I actually looked it up because I do a lot of weightlifting. It's, uh, it would, you know, take a guess. I guess what I have picked it up before. Jeez, I want to say... I should be able to get it from the, from the number of gallons, but I'm not going <laughs> to... All right, uh, 80 pounds. No, it's actually a lot more. It's approximately 185 pounds, depending on okay. how... You know, I lowballed it based on... Right, it's heavy, <laughs> as you know. All right, so, so what, the empty keg, how much is... The weight is just the metal itself. Do you know? I've never, I've never actually weighed. You think it's a fair amount, or you think it's mostly the liquid? It's, it's probably the empty shell is probably about thirty pounds, is my guess. Okay. So it, it weighs a good it amount. But you know, liquid yeah. weighs a lot more than. Sure. So sure. yeah. Now, uh, someone wanted to know where we were recording the podcast, and uh, I think suffice it to say, we are we are recording in Wilmington, Delaware, in the catacombs of Little Italy. There you go. So we're trying to keep it local here, so... Right. American-made. Right. Paul, do you want to uh, help me out with some of these? Sure. Um, I think... Uh, when I, I think I, I may have raised a couple of these issues when, when uh, the first uh, when their first podcast came out. I just try to provide some constructive criticism here. Um, I, I just... I, I think there, there was one... The hot topic I felt like maybe Joe could have touched on since he kind of talked about the dram shop laws was the topic of entrapment when a lot of people would love to actually know about that relating to, hey, I come out of a bar and what a cop is sitting there. Is that is that okay, Rob? Or especially when in, the, in this scope, I don't want to go on a whole other topic, but I mean, that's right. kind of one thing I felt like you guys could have touched on because it's just, it kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, dram shop law and, you know, drinking and driving almost, which you should never do. Right, that's one that we might have to table for another time. You Correct. know, we'd be happy to have you back, Paul, and maybe maybe you and Joe and I could all talk that out because this this I think is more of Joe's uh, perfect. Background. I agree too. Yep. All right. Well, I think that just wraps things up. Uh, thank you again for listening. I'm Rob Kleiner at Monday Night Rob here with Paul Piscarchik filling in for Joe Kane. We hope you get better. And, get well soon, Joe. And you can always hit uh, Rob and Joe on uh, Monday Night Law on Facebook. So. Right. Monday Night Law on Facebook. Just search for Monday Night Law. And thanks for listening. Yep, thank you.